Hi everyone, this is Chris Lim with the Theotech Podcast, and I'm joined today with Pastor Samuel Sun, the Manager of Diversity and Reconciliation for the Presbyterian Church USA. Pastor Sam is in town for the next conference in Seattle, and we had the chance to catch up. Pastor Sam, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me here. I'm glad to be here. Can you tell us more about uh, your role as the Manager of Diversity and Reconciliation? Yes, uh, so it's at the Presbyterian Mission Agency, and it's in the executive director's office. And I have two major roles. One is uh, helping our agency mm. to be more truly inclusive, right? To let all the gifts of our employees flourish, mm. that there will be no discrimination. And that's a continuous, I think, reformation that needs to happen. And so I work with others to do race audit for our organization. Mm. Uh, the other one is to really uh, stir and catalyze our congregations mm-hmm. to be intercultural, mm. uh, to ground it theologically that that's what actually means to be the church. Right? Yeah. Actually, a church shouldn't need an extra adjective saying intercultural. A church, by its definition, is people of all nations worshiping God. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of different uh, movements for this, and, uh, and I'm trying, trying to help uh, make those movements come together and uh, create more energy. That's, that's great. Can you, for people who maybe aren't aware of it, what is the biblical basis for the mm. work that you do? It's, it's all through the scripture. Yeah. Uh, and there are very, very many different, like you could use creation. But for me, in my workshops, I want to kind of surprise them, right? Not get, you know, we go to Acts chapter 2 and you have the Pentecost and you have uh, people of all nations there understanding God in their own languages, right? It's not yeah. that they suddenly understand one language, right? And there's that beautiful picture of uh, there's def- recognition of diversity and the diversity is not destroyed, yeah. yet there's the shared understanding. So Acts 2 is there. And of course, the, the church, right? Uh, the whole Acts movement is the church going beyond the, the, the beginners, right? Uh, the apostles thought was the boundaries of church and it constantly breaks that open, right? From mm. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, mm-hmm. uh, Antioch, right? and it keeps going. Um, so it's all there, but for me, I start with Galatians. Um, mm. And in Galatians, most people think of that as where Paul like, defends gospel against legalism. Yes. And people always understand legalism in that no self uh, work righteousness. Correct. And that threatens the gospel. Gospel is all grace. But it's a very individualistic understanding, right? Mm. So it's always about, okay, I should not try to do good to be accepted. Mm-hmm. Then that nullifies God's grace in Christ. Okay. But actually, when you look at it, that whole grace and legalism is within the context of a new community. Mm. Um, so Paul starts off with like Galatians. You gotta be careful because mm-hmm. you have compromised the gospel. You have turned to a, the wrong gospel. A, you are perverting the gospel. And if you look at it in the very beginning, he, his greeting is quick, real short. Yep. He doesn't even say, uh, I thank God for whatever you do. He, does, he often does that with less like Corinthian community, right? Yep. Even with the mess that they were going through, he just says, still says, I thank God for the things that you are doing. Mm-hmm. And, but there he just goes right in and then he uses like, cursed be anyone who teaches the false gospel. And yep. I repeat again. And he rightfully, he wants to make sure that the listeners, the Galatians, and I think us readers, to really you know, stand up in your chair and really pay attention. Uh. Okay? So we're not just talking about not being able to follow the gospel, but following the wrong gospel. I see. Okay, so what is this? What is this? And then if you read it, he gives an example of what that is. Right? He doesn't want to leave, it, leave any doubts as to what that is. Okay. And he gives an example of Peter 
uh, he's eating with the Gentiles, mm -hmm. and then these Jewish Christians come, yep. and then he basically falls under peer pressure, right? And then he separates himself from the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. uh, and so by doing that, he's actually saying that there's two different classes in the church. He's basically separating himself, segregation. Yep. And then, he's, and then Paul says, he, I confronted him and said, you are self-condemning. If you follow the false gospel, maybe you'll be accursed right mm -hmm. in the very beginning. And he's, he's making sure that he's talking about the same, that people understand that he's talking about the same thing. Mm -hmm. And he says, uh, so you are self-condemning yourself mm -hmm. by this life of segregation. And then he goes on and says, how can you try to force the Gentiles to be like you as Jew? Mm -hmm. Right? And so that right there, very clear, right? It's these Christians, uh, they, they have different culture. Yeah. You are trying to impose your culture over these Christians. Look, if you could be saved by work righteousness, which is, like, if, if salvation is about following one cultural practice, mm. then Christ died for nothing. Wow. So the false gospel is this. When you tie the, the Christian identity or the Christian community into a single culture and you create segregation. Wow. It, it's powerful. When I open that, it's like, wow, okay, so what we are doing, we've got to be honest, right? Yeah. Are we following the, have we been following the false gospel? So the monocultural church actually reinforces a false gospel. It does. There's one pastor, um, he says, there's, in America, you have two gospels, gospel of race mm. and gospel of Christ. And often the church has followed the gospel of race and mm. compromised the gospel of Christ. Wow. So that trap of individualistic salvation has kind of pervaded our, yes. our churches for so long. And I think one thing that struck me has been that a lot of businesses, companies, like I used to work at Amazon and everything, mm -hmm. they have a lot of work in diversity. Uh, they call it diversity and inclusion, not reconciliation. Mm -hmm. um, but they bring together people from all over the world, mm -hmm. from India, from China, right. from you know, Africa, from Europe, all these people working together side by side to create a very prosperous company. And I have found it very grieving that many mm. times our churches are so far behind because what it, what it does is it, it makes it look like money is a better God than Jesus is. Because <laughs> money is what brings all the people together in Amazon, right? right? They're all getting paid, they're, yes. they're innovating together. Um, right. and, and we believe Christ brings us together in church, but when mm. we're monocultural, what we're really doing is just kind mm. of adhering to our social cohesion. We're comfortable with other people who are like us, mm -hmm. and you don't really need Jesus to be in the mix at all. You're just having your nice little community right. um, versus, you know, when we talk about intercultural, multicultural yeah. church, the only way that's even possible is that Christ is bringing people together yes. across the cultures, across yes. the languages. Yes. And that seems to glorify Jesus because it's voluntary. It's right. not money that's, that's bringing us point. together. Yeah. But I just, in general, you know, why do you think that it's been so challenging mm -hmm. uh, for the church to the point where maybe my perception is that it's kind of really far behind mm. what even in the general society is doing in America? Mm. Mm. We, we don't want to hear and to follow the true gospel mm. because we want uh, our churches to be a place where we are affirmed mm -hmm. and comforted. And, and so we take the individualism gospel and it's easy to kind of manipulate that yeah. to continue to stay within our own way of life. It is kind of ironic, I think, that the gospel of grace that goes against self-righteousness is used to justify their way of life. Mm. So it becomes its own kind of self-righteousness thing. Yeah. Um, and it comes down to that. I think we will choose 
our righteousness and our way of life over the Lordship of Christ and Christ's grace. Mm. So there's a, a story told by Clarence Jordan, who was a Baptist. He grew up in the Baptist church. He wanted to do, uh, you know, eliminate poverty. So he went and studied uh, agriculture farming, came back, and he realized that it's not just techniques, okay. but it's also the worldview. Mm-hmm. So he went back and he studied New Testament Greek. He came back and, and they started this uh, community in 1950s in Georgia, a Koinonia Farm, where you share resources and uh, what was for him, simple gospel, but revolutionary and was challenged to society was that blacks and whites came together as, as a family. Oh. So although he never protested, the KKK came and they sprayed bullets in his uh, community, wow. bombed his store. He never went out in the streets, but the, their life, Clarence community, right, contradicted what they were saying, yeah. that blacks and whites cannot live together because they are of different value. And, mm. so, and there was. and. Um, businesses uh, came and they uh, canceled their contract, they uh, canceled insurance, and other people brought false charges. And so he asked his brother to help him out because you know, he needed a lawyer. Mm. Uh, people didn't want to uh, stand up for him, right? And so he showed all these uh, charges that what came to his uh, house and he showed it to his brother and his brother said, these are all false charges. You know, the reason why they're doing it is because of your stand on race. Clarence says to his brother, I know that, but I'm asking you to represent me. Mm-hmm. And he, his brother said, I can't do that. Wow. And he said, well, aren't you a Christian? Yes. Um, then are you not supposed to follow Christ? Yes. His brother says, but only to a point. Uh, what would that point be? You know, Jesus says that we have to c- carry our cross and yeah. follow him. Would that point be the cross? And his brother said, maybe. And Clarence says to his brother, I honor your frankness, but come this Sunday, you should go up in front of the church and confess that you're not willing to follow, the Christ, follow Christ to the cross and say that you are not a true Christian. Mm-hmm. And his brother said, well, if, if all of us Christians were supposed to do that, then there might not be any churches. <laughs> wow. And Clarence said, well, maybe we don't need those churches. Mm-hmm. If you stand with me, you will lose your business and you will lose your home like us, we are, like we're losing everything. When you do that, you'll become my true brother in Christ. And then you could join my Kononia farm because the only requisite to be a member of Kononia farm is to have nothing and you'll be a prime candidate. <laughs> but his brother did not stand up for him. For him, it came down to the lordship. Mm. I think most Christians uh, who choose the segregation, mm-hmm. uh, who choose the, the comfort of their culture and of their lifestyle. Frankly, they want themselves and their community and their culture to be the Lord and not Christ. Mm-hmm. It does come down to that, I believe. Obedience to lordship and the true gospel, the false mm-hmm. gospel, and most of us sadly prefer the false gospel because mm-hmm. it doesn't require sacrifice from us. It provides us the benefits of emotional right. comfort and therapy. Provides the emotional comfort of religion, yeah. right? Without demanding the true cost and sacrifice of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that because you know I think that's discipleship. Nobody's perfect yet, and discipleship is helping us to obey Christ in everything, including loving our neighbors, ourselves, loving our enemies, mm-hmm. loving people different than us. And if we're never in a community together with people different than us, it never happens. Mm. So, like, how how does your work specifically help these uh, churches that maybe have the good intentions? 
but in practice don't really have anything, you know, mechanism to make it happen. How do you help Presbyterian churches and other communities to start to ex- take that journey of transformation? So I do believe it is, it does come down to uh, understanding scripture again and reading it together. Mm. So actually in my workshop, one of the things I tell uh, the people who have gathered, right, whether it be pastors or lay people is read your scripture. Mm-hmm. Read it in its entirety. Because when you break it down to sections, then it's o- other philosophies and theologies can come and they can Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Put Jesus, into, yeah. right? Eisegesis, put into that text their interpretive framework. Mm. Um, so read it. Uh, read it for yourself. Read it as a community. Point out uh, the places where church, uh, Paul is really talking about the church uh, that has redefined the, what it means to be a people of God. And he's always constantly wrestling with, explaining, and fighting for this new understanding of the people of God as Gentiles and Jews together. Yeah, I really think you have to start with that. Like you said, you said the companies have this money motive, so no matter how difficult it is, they will continue to work together because this will make the company more profitable. Yep. Or maybe for an individual, he won't get fired, right? Yep. So there has to be a motive before like methods. Mm-hmm. People, will, people will not follow a method or will sabotage in other ways if they're not truly convinced, right? They have to have a motive. And so for the Christian, for the church, it has to be the gospel motive. Yeah. And I think if gospel motive is there, right, and they're willing to say yes, then I think you'll, you'll have people who are willing to follow different methods, different means. But more than that, if let's say that mean or that method or some type of program doesn't work, they're willing to continue to stay in that relationship. Yeah. If they have the gospel motive. Mm-hmm. If there's any other motive, okay, let's say this will make our church grow. And what if it doesn't? Then they'll give up. That's a very good, excellent point that uh, sometimes we can mistake a gospel motive, like we can have a false gospel motive. Like the church growing seems like the gospel's winning or thriving, but actually you may have compromised the actual gospel. And so you're not actually yes. pursuing the kingdom of God anymore. Yes. You're just pursuing your own kingdom. Right, yeah. Uh, so like I hear some people say, you know, the... Uh, our American landscape will change, yes. Mm-hmm. And you know there are different uh, theories as and t- timeline as when the whites will become the minority. Uh. And then they say, well, so if the church was to, should get get with the times, then they should. And that's kind of like just taking the lay of the land. I understand that, yeah. but that can be the motive. Again, so that becomes again a method to be relevant as a church that continues to uh, attract people. No, no, no. Mm. Our relevancy has to be the gospel, right? That motive in some place somewhere they will it will fail. It won't, it won't produce growth, you mean? Or what do you mean by fail? Well, what I mean, uh, again, motivation is there's, the lay of the land is changing. The, yeah. the ethnic makeup is changing. Yeah. So let's get with the times. That method cannot sustain I see. Uh, right, yeah. the congregation. And in that way, I'm saying it will fail. Yeah. Um, there was a study done from a sociologist where when you uh, use the, hey, be more diverse because uh, the whites are not going to be the majority anymore, yeah. that actually stirs fear. So you are basically saying, get comfortable with losing power. And actually, people will react the other way. They're trying to save power, hold yes, on to power. Yes. Okay. So you know, we, we could learn a lot from the, the company, from uh, census and all that. But for us as Christians, there's no more powerful motive than the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, and when you think about Paul, too, I mean, there is no like, other ulterior reason for him. Like He doesn't benefit by going around the nations of those times 
to try to bring the Gentiles. In fact, that, that led him to the persecution yeah, everywhere. I mean, yeah, basically he got betrayed by actually Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Yeah. But for him, it was, this was the gospel. Mm-hmm. This is God's eternal plan. Mm-hmm. And I get to be part of it. That was what sustained him when he was in prison. And mm-hmm. so the church needs to uh, root this work of diversity and inclusivity in the gospel. And again, the gospel had, is enough power mm-hmm. and reason for these works. One of the things that really moved me recently when I was preparing for a talk was I was studying Ephesians, the whole book. And uh, I, you know, I come from the tech world where we're always about, you know, success in technology tends to be a startup that has a billion dollar unicorn exit. That's kind of what they think of. Hmm. But as I was thinking, as I was preparing my talk, I realized like near the end of the book, there's the analogy about Christ and his church as marriage. Hmm. And then I began to think about, you know, if God's my customer, what does God really want? Mm -hmm. And as I get to that ending, I'm like, you know, I think God's not interested in the next billion dollar unicorn startup. It seems like God really wants to find a bride for his son. And in my mind, I was like, wow, the bride, the, the bride of Christ is so beautiful. Mm. He's, you know, she's his most beautiful creation mm. and uh, he's preparing her for, for his son. And that somehow this, the picture of the gospel, the witness of the gospel is the community. The community is the witness. Yes. yes. That when every member from all this diversity is brought together yes. as one in Christ yes. and everyone's exercising their gifts and all of its diversity, yes. that's building up the body. That's yes. actually getting to the point where she reaches maturity right. and is ready for the wedding yeah. day. And that That's picture beautiful. just kind of, um, it captivated me. It, Very emotional it, too. Yeah, right? and, I, and I think that maybe that whole individualistic Christianity feels really weak. Mm. Like, it's like, it's like, oh, this is not that interesting. No, if, right, right. If we just talk about, oh, you just um, check the box to say that you receive Christ because you prayed this prayer, that's not really the gospel. I know. But this new creation that God has made beginning with Christ and then his bride and then everything redeemed, that's pretty incredible. It is, it is. Uh, Ephesians also is one of my favorite books and it's interesting N.T. Wright says that for many years like in the historical criticism they Mm. kept saying that Ephesians is not Paul's letter and and in that way they could dismiss it but he says that we read Romans wrong and again Romans 2 it was all read like again it's about the individual self-righteousness right you read Romans wrong because uh, you haven't understood Ephesians Mm. if you read Ephesians and go to Romans then actually you will understand it better and actually Romans 2 is, is really about community it is it's absolutely all about community I mean he goes through uh, all of this argument to say in Romans 15 right so just as Christ accepted you accept mm-hmm. one another yeah. I mean that's just really the summation so yeah Romans but going back to Ephesians you're right so I, I never saw that kind of uh, the powerful what you just did bringing the uh, the bride and the bridegroom mm-hmm. as a way to see what God desires Right from the church and yeah. Christ, uh, that, that's beautiful. An- another thing that I see is in letter of Ephesians, Paul fully uh, describes and draws the gospel as this universal cosmic mm-hmm. purpose. Right. So, like for example, in Galatians, he starts right off with the crises, right? Yeah. But in Ephesians, he takes time. Most likely, he's in prison, and that's why he takes time. Right? <laughs> and he says, "You know what? This gospel." Although it was revealed in Christ, it doesn't mean that this was God's plan that started at this generation. Mm-hmm. You guys are lucky, he says, right, that this mystery is revealed to you. But this was God's plan from the beginning of the world, yeah. right? So it's kind of like Mark starts with Jesus' story, but John says, no, Jesus' story starts in the creation. Mm-hmm. And that's what Paul does. Paul says, no, this gospel story started actually not just in the creation, 
but even before the foundation of the world, God chose us to be holy and blameless in His sight. Mm. Right? He starts that letter off like that. It's like, whoa, this is cosmic. It's cosmic, yeah. yeah. And then he says, like, you know, God's will is to bring all powers and principalities under the lordship of Christ. And you know how he's going to do it? He's going to do that to the church because the church as is supposed to show the future of creation. Yes. Where in the church, the lordship of Christ brings all the powers and principalities under the lordship of Christ. Powers and principalities, spheres of influence, right? Um, mm -hmm. it, it's not bad in itself. It's only when that asserts the lordship of Christ that it becomes demonic. And, yep. and so actually that's what Paul ends at the end about how we fight spiritual not against warfare. flesh and blood, right? Uh, so we got to, and, and that spiritual warfare is about how we have to fight this, this spheres of influence, powers and principalities and bring it under the lordship of Christ. Mm. How do we do that? Let's say in a church, you say, you know what? I don't want to worship with these people because they don't uh, sing the same hymns as I do. Okay, so what is the power and principality there, right? It's not Christ's lordship has been usurped by what I believe my culture to be the only true way to worship. So there you have powers and principalities usurped. So when, mm. when a church is able to practice like multiple ways of doing things, multilingual, mm -hmm. what they're doing is they're decentering the culture or language and saying that is not gonna be the, the center. We recognize it's the beautiful spheres of influences, mm. but all of them is, will always be subservient, have their place on the Lordship of Christ. Wow. So yeah, in that sense, like, wow, you know, the church's diversity is mm -hmm. about God accomplishing His cosmic plan. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. And that's it, a beautiful It's a powerful summary. letter, yeah. And in some ways, just to tie the language of idolatry, that decentering is kind of a whole organization or community repenting of idolatry. Yes. And Christ being the center once again. Yes. Yes. So that, that individual experience is now brought into a communal experience mm -hmm. of, of giving up those old idols. So that's, that's yes. just very powerful things. Tell me more about what are some of those big barriers that you've seen in your work? We talked about kind of a truncated gospel of individual salvation, mm. ignoring the new creation and, and the new community, that the new humanity that God's making. We talked about how everyone has a, just a tendency to want our comfort, right? And mm. it always takes That's Christ right. calling us out of that mm -hmm. to be able to make the sacrifices necessary to love people that are different than us mm -hmm. and to be in community with people who are different than us. Right. What are the kind of barriers do you see come up regularly in your work? Right. Yeah. So not to repeat at length, but again, I think it, it does still start with that, like, um, trying to show that the truncated gospel is a truncated gospel. Okay. So a lot of times I keep hearing saying what I'm teaching or what I'm trying to say is political correctness. Ah. Like, so, and, and then they use that to dismiss it, right? Okay. That's why I said, you know, we got to read the gospel together. So mm. that, the way into the heart is, is the scripture. And somehow you still have to constantly, like with loving, but with truth, show them that what they have Consider the gospel is a truncated gospel, so that that is huge. Okay, okay but uh, I guess more uh, logistic or pragmatic or structurally yeah. uh, is is that um, well, I mean the way that the church has been set up, right? H how the finances, you know, how will the church sustain itself? Mm. Um, whether it be from a local congregation, the belief that if we uh, start bringing other people in, mm -hmm. then the people who are giving will leave. Mm. But historically, actually, it has been that way. So a lot of the churches, so there's a church, um, I will not name it right now, because okay. I, I am now there as a public supply. It was huge, it was big, it was basically a white neighborhood. Yeah. Blacks came in, the whites started leaving, mm. 
and now it's down to a very small size it's not sustainable they can't call a pastor so as far as the short-term memory of the church diversity doesn't work it's because costly with no benefit costly, right okay and, and again and because they only see okay church growth is a sign of the gospel or you know like uh. you said so it doesn't work so there is that um from the success of uh, financial so presbytery too the, the churches that really grew are those churches again that they plant in the suburb the reason was the suburban you know uh-huh. flight yeah. the white flight yeah to the suburbs right right but actually uh as far as like number was a lot of the largest churches are those churches uh right so the membership is dwindling we need to uh, have financial stability uh we need to invest our money wisely according to our short-term history uh where does the church grow in the suburbs yeah urban church died not realizing that actually in one sense we created that right mm. but we we don't see that we create that environment and, and so that short-term memory and that again that financial security mm-hmm. and, and the sense of the importance of success and as a sign of uh, god's blessings yeah all of that uh i think is makes it, uh, a person really so even if they say okay i agree with you but if you do it you're gonna lose membership so and you're gonna lose money yeah. membership you won't sustain right. it right so you shouldn't try yeah yeah mm-hmm. so that's a major yeah. logistical yeah. practical yeah. barrier that yeah um mm-hmm. and and then also um i mean racism still i mean uh what what happens in the church is simply not just the church life the society constantly impinges right i mean it's basically the people in the church pew are people who live in the world yep and it's still this this american society is still a racist society and so all of that racism prejudice is constantly being embedded in us what are some of those hidden ways that it happens because i think that there may be mm. people who feel like oh we've already moved past that whether you're conservative or liberal many people may feel like well haven't we already addressed racism with the desegregation and everything like that people have equal opportunity so what are those ways that uh, it's still actually embedded in the american psyche and society mm. that may not be obvious to people right yes um So uh, one of the places where we see that is the uh, implicit bias. Mm. Um it's it's not like we uh choose uh you know movies or books or medias or teachings that teach us prejudices mm-hmm. but it just kind of like the water we're in. And so the implicit bias without us even knowing it 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 comes out in the way we uh fill in the holes, mm. fill out the narrative of an individual. And I mean it happens to me and it's not like once i recognize this implicit bias that i could check and be aware of all my implicit biases i mean that's the whole thing about implicit bias it just comes out yeah it's only when it's pointed out so i mean i mean i could just of so many stories where my implicit bias comes in uh like once when i was talking with some uh, somebody over the phone and it was a service that wasn't done well and and i just had implicit bias of who that person would be would be a person of color and that's uh. See, even me saying this I'm like oh man kind of ashamed is, yeah but you know what I am a racist yeah I am a racist and I have those biases and that those biases I mean like I didn't catch it until later mm. in fact I didn't catch it later until I met the person and you realize that you yeah. were wrong yeah it's crazy but I I am a racist tell us that story where you got that phrase I am a racist you mm. shared it with me yesterday and I yes, think it's very powerful yes it is very powerful so 
again, this is uh, Nick Stroops. Uh, he was uh, he went to Oakhurst Presbyterian Church where the white flood happened. There were a few people left, but he was committed to making this church a church for the neighborhood. Yeah, which just by its very nature means that it's going to be intercultural. Mm. Um, and so we had a conversation with him with our diversity and reconciliation table, and as we were introducing each other. You know, the first thing he did, he was he just confessed that I am a racist mm -hmm. and I will be a racist. But by the grace of God, right, I am repenting, yeah. constantly repenting of that. And it was powerful because actually it really opened the conversation. Mm. Like, okay, here's a guy who's done intercultural ministry. So then what would happen if I were able, like, if I see some implicit bias in him, should I point it out? I shouldn't point it out. I mean, he's someone who should know all this. Yeah. But he's like, you know, you are free to point it out to me because my identity is not a false identity of this, again, that I've arrived at some place. Mm. And so if you point that, like, if, if that's your identity, let's say being woke or, or being not a racist, that yeah. I'm a progressive, and, and then suddenly this kind of, again, racism that comes out, when that's pointed out, you can't you can't accept it because it threatens your false identity, I which see. you've accepted as you. But once you say I am a racist, mm -hmm. then you're open to you know all truth to be spoken to you. Yeah. And so yeah, I mean that that was liberating. And you know when you think about think about Romans, basically that's what Romans does. Paul is starts with like the Gentiles, right, and then all these things that they do, and basically he goes through the common rhetoric the Jews throw against the Gentiles. You know, those mm -hmm. Gentiles are pagan worshiper, worshiper, they sacrifice glory of God for the images of animal and yeah. man, and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it goes, but you Jews, are you not the same, right? And then, so the way they're battling is like, who's more right? Who's more righteous? Mm -hmm. And he basically nullifies the battle by saying, all have fallen short mm -hmm. of the glory of God. Let's start with that. I am a sinner, mm. right? I am a sinner. And then at that point, it really, it doesn't matter like which culture, which people are more righteous or it's, it's moot. Yep. Because uh, we're all in need of grace of God. Yep. Um, and for, for Nips, Stroops, or any of us starting with that, I am a racist, is mm -hmm. really saying I am a sinner. In this society, the way this, that sin comes out is racism, where I deny God's image in another person because of their color or their language. I am a racist. Mm -hmm. uh, we start with that, then we are we can hear truth, speak truth, and experience grace. That's uh, that's very helpful. So let me ask because you know that we're Theotech, so we do theology of technology, and we also built Spiffio for real time translation and for accessibility uh, for churches and for events. And so, from your perspective, what difference can technology make in this you know this dream and this vision? Mm. Well, I think you know that better than me. <laughs> well, I want your perspective, and I'll share my perspective too. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, I can speak in, in in general principles. I think again, if you have the the right right motive, I think technology can help us create that community uh, that we envision what the church should be mm -hmm. by making the difficulties of communication yeah. and. Uh, and though maybe the barriers of resources yeah. uh, reduce that. So, you know, technology is making some of the works that was more, very expensive because maybe it was labor intensive or maybe you needed human yeah. to do it. Now you could do it at a cheaper uh, mm -hmm. and a scalable rate. It could make that uh, work more available to 
all every church, yeah, yeah. no matter the resources, right? I mean, in that sense, I think technology mm-hmm. can be very helpful. So again, with with Paul, Paul was able to use the technology of his days, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, which was the roads laid down by the Roman government, the ships, and all that. So you know, he he had the gospel, he had the vision. And the technology allowed him to accomplish some of those visions that he had. That would not be possible otherwise. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, so I think that's what I think technology does. It, it gives us a tool to uh, make uh, the visions that we have to be able to realize them yeah. uh, in a larger scale and in a more affordable way. Yeah, and I think that that's kind of what our hope was, is to get rid of the excuse that it's too expensive mm-hmm. or that it's out of reach for us because we don't have the people to be able to actually actively pursue uh, becoming a multilingual, multicultural community. Mm. Uh, that's what we wanted to do, is take that excuse off the table. Yeah. I, and we're putting it in terms of excuses, <laughs> as if people want to make excuses, but yeah. I know that in a lot of, in the history of the church, we often went with a segregation model because of language, right? Like I yes. grew up in an Indonesian church, and it's like, well, they're Indonesian language, Indonesian culture, so instead of just joining together with a Caucasian church, why don't you just have your own separate church right. and We'll, you know, we'll give you some money to support you, but you do your own thing. And unfortunately, you lose the very vision of the gospel that Paul was laboring for. Mm. Um, And there's a very practical reason, at least, that can be a cover for maybe other deeper heart issues that we talked about. But that practical reason is like, well, we don't have the people to do this and we don't have the money to make it happen. And um, we're hoping technologically that, you know, that that excuse basically is off the table. Mm. And now it's like. If you want it, it's here. Like, there's no reason not to. So practically speaking, the possibilities have changed mm-hmm. uh, because of where technology is. Mm-hmm. Now this is, I don't know how relevant this is, but I'll bring it up. Mm-hmm. It, sometimes I felt like, you know how like a, a seed mm-hmm. has DNA, right? The yeah. DNA for yeah. the plant or whatever, That's it's right. already there in the seed, right. but it gets planted in the ground and eventually it grows up and at the different stages of its growth, different parts of its DNA get activated mm-hmm. um, to be able to reach what it's supposed right. to be. And I kind of felt like the Bible was sometimes compared to the seed as the word of God. Mm. The scriptures already have the DNA of the church, or of the mm. new creation kind of in it, mm. you know, Christ and, right. and, the, and the Bible. But right. it's like got planted in different soils and or at different times. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of growing up mm. and different parts of that DNA are getting activated huh. as it's reaching okay. its new growth stage. Yeah. So I kind of feel like that's where technology is that, that changing thing. Like Paul was right. planted in a time, Jesus came in a time where the Roman roads, right. the empire enabled him to travel right. and, and spread the letter and everything right. like that all across. Right. the known world even the writing form itself yes yeah right and it seems as if now with technology we're at another cusp of the internet mm-hmm. and ai and mm-hmm. what's possible with you know spiffio and stuff like it for translation and for um speech recognition all these things mm-hmm. where another aspect of what god wanted for the bride or for the mm-hmm. for the church mm-hmm. is possible that wasn't mm-hmm. possible before oh, that's nice uh that's kind of unfolding right uh-huh. so that's that's kind of my dream on the technological angle okay. is that for churches and church leaders just to realize like you know, maybe we couldn't fully realize God's vision mm-hmm. before because there was a lot of very practical problems mm-hmm. that you have to deal with. Mm-hmm. But technology is changing that so now that DNA that God's had there all along can be activated mm-hmm. and you can start bearing this fruit that you couldn't really bear before. That's, the, that's a great image and you're right. Like one of the reasons why the Reformation was about to happen was because of the printing press. Correct, yeah. So now you really could have scripture is more affordable. Yeah. Uh, and also scripture in their own language. In your language, yeah. So again, the printing press allowed each different languages to produce more, and so the language itself can shapes more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're right, you're right. And, and so then it brought out or activated another DNA of that gospel. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and you're right, you're right. So as we are trying to be more faithful to the gospel, this new technology 
or in the information age. Yeah, I'm curious to what it will activate now. Yeah, me too. And hopefully it's like a maybe a second reformation that the Lord will bring Absolutely. for us. Absolutely. I, I definitely think it, it will be the second reformation. I mean, uh, we can't remain segregated and and still think that we're being faithful to being, the yeah, scriptures. We, yeah. <laughs> this this is the reformation I think the Spirit of God is challenging us to participate in. Mm-hmm. So let's summarize that, you know, for any pastors, church leaders, presbyters, or lay people too who have a heart for this, um, who are listening to this podcast, what would you want to say to them? I will say, read your Bible. (laughs) Read our scripture. It is amazing. And read it, uh, read Galatians and Ephesians. Um, Obviously, you know, you don't stop there. I think those scriptures, it will lead you to other scriptures. And I think the way you read is important, actually. Mm. One, you got to read it out loud. This was the way it was intended to be experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I, I like poems, and I realized that I don't understand the poem on the pages until I read it out loud. It's only when I'm really sounding the word. Mm. And of course, the poet, when he re- writes it, he does mean it for the ear. Yep. I mean, there, there is yeah. a reason, right? A poem is, is a music. It's distinctive from a prose because it's meant for the ear. And so a lot of it's like meaning mm-hmm. is really in the sounding of it. Mm-hmm. And same thing with a lot of scripture. And especially again, we we'll go back to uh, Paul's letters. You know, he meant it for some, someone to unroll that you know, scroll and to be read and people to all hear it together. Yeah. So when you start reading it out loud, it, there's a more intense focus on the meaning mm-hmm. and, and you pick up things that you didn't pick up. You, you kind of hear the humor that you know that you didn't see before and you see the connections actually a lot of the connections especially when you read Paul is really again in the sound when you sound it out yeah. right like powers and principalities and Ephesians constant creation creation it's always there and then the second thing you got to do when you read the scripture is you have to read it in its entirety here again so you were trying to go back and to experience it the way it was intended so uh, for example you know, if when when the people in Galatia they receive the letter of Paul, you know, I don't think they said we're gonna read only up to verse fifteen and we'll stop there. <laughs> and come next week and we'll finish it. But you know, you can't. And and, and uh, really, it's the it's the whole experience of the letter. Yeah. And, and the immediate memory that lingers of all that Paul says that gives it its its full like uh, un- power mm-hmm. and, and it helps you to understand it. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the the letter itself is explaining itself yeah uh, but you have to read it in that way uh, so one of the analogies that i do is like let's say you have a musical notation very few people will, can hear a full orchestra just looking at the notes mm. the only way you really gotta know what that music is is by playing it and same thing with scripture though you gotta play it which is read it out loud read it in its entirety I, I, honestly like you start there and you'll you'll be like so like yes <laughs> you, you know what this call to be inclusive this is God's cosmic plan and you will like feel Paul's excitement about that mm. like the way Paul connect, he, for him it's like he connected the dots it's like what so God is telling me to be a missionary to the Gentile because when I do that what I am really saying is that God is not just the folk God of the Jews yeah. but the God of the universe mm. so people in Ephesus 
Don't worry about me being in prison. Mm, don't worry about it. Mm. This is for your glory. So yeah, you, you will get excited. I love that. I love that uh, that passion, the experience of it. And uh, so if anybody listening to this struggles to read their Bible, maybe try to read the whole book and read it out loud. And maybe that passion will come across that Paul had oh, as you he wrote hear, it. You will hear him. Yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you. So for anyone who would like to get in touch with you, is there a good way that they can maybe invite you to do a workshop for their church or a presbytery or just get to know you, anything that you'd like me to share with you know, Sure, yes. Uh, I, I would be happy to uh, be of service to any of our presbyteries and our congregations. So actually just uh, email is uh, samuel.sun at peaceusa.org. Okay. So just my name, samuel.sun at peaceusa.org. Uh, you know, email me and uh, you know, we'll start from there. That's fantastic. And if anyone is interested in Spiffio for translation or accessibility, you can learn more about how to make your church inclusive uh, by going to spf.io, spf.io. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you so much, Pastor Sam, for joining us today. I just had a really refreshing time talking with you. Thank you for this conversation. I have enjoyed it thoroughly. All right, God bless, bye.